The hosts of Cannabis Law Talk and Leach Tishman for Scaldwell and Lample in no way encourage the illegal activity. Listeners of this podcast must be mindful that processing, using, distributing, and or selling marijuana is a federal crime. And in no legal advice given herein is intended to provide any guidance or assistance in violating federal law, nor will it provide any guidance or assistance in complying with federal law. Please also note that nothing in this podcast is intended to be deemed advice regarding the federal, state, or local tax consequences of engaging in any business in the cannabis industry. This is Cannabis Law Talk. I'm Ken Foltz. And I'm Chris Gonzalez. Cannabis Law Talk is a podcast that focuses on the business, politics, and law of cannabis, featuring some of the influencers in the industry and more. Our aim is to provide non-lawyers with a broad overview on the cannabis industry and the law in the United States, and how to better understand and navigate through this cutting-edge and always-changing industry. Hi, welcome to Cannabis Law Talk. I'm Ken Foltz. And I'm Chris Gonzalez. Welcome to another one of our podcast episodes where we talk about the industry of cannabis and the legal aspects and issues that sort of intertwine within the industry. Yeah, we're looking forward to uh, helping anyone out there that wants to either get in the business, understand the business, um, invest in the business. Um, So our our show is dedicated to people who just want to understand more. And if they're in the business, learn more. And just as we are. I mean, we're moving along at this rate that is constantly changing. Um, today we have a great discussion. I think we're talking about some financial issues and, and getting in and finance issues that deal with businesses and around yeah, that. It's rapidly changing. It, it's, you know, really, I think what we're going to touch upon a little bit today, we're not going to do incredibly deep dive because I think we actually have some guests coming up in future shows are going to talk about their experiences on the pure business side with raising capital, the growth of the industry, uh, burn rate of cash, things like that. Um, and then also the stock market, uh, the, the public side of it. Um, and how that has changed quickly in really Very the last quickly. 12 months. It's been a dramatic. Yeah, we're uh, seeing some of the big hitters disappear or on the verge of disappearing, which is unfortunate. Um, yeah. yeah well, there's, well, there's been, you know, sort of the explosion and everybody wanted to invest and they thought it was, you know, they, they've hit the the gold rush, really. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the valuations were just pretty astronomical. Um, you know, and we actually worked and advised um, a number of clients that were investing in some of the larger companies um, last year in 2019. And it was interesting how early in the year the valuations were um, extremely high. Um, and then mid-year, as the uh, the capital raises were not going as well as they had hoped, those companies would come back uh, with much more rational valuations. Um, you know, I look at in a couple ways. You look at the launch challenges people have, and then you look at the operational challenges. And I think what we see with some of these public OTC clients, or not clients, but um, entities, that they're having operational challenges. Um, and unfortunately, uh, the same challenges somewhat come up on the launch side. So, you know, for example, looking at an investor, I get this call. You get, what, you get the same call every time, right? I wanted the game. Yeah. Okay. What do you want to do? Do you want to touch the plan? You go back to the whole concept, touch the plan, not touch the plan. You want to invest? What do you want to do? And I think the the remaining constant launch and operational challenge is regulation. And it's getting to be a point of I'm getting tired of saying it, but it's that's what's hurting many people from starting and those that are going on. And now in this case, unfortunately, some that are, you know, we're watching is CEOs disappear. We're watching entire divisions just get whacked, you know, pulling up and just cutting the entire staff 
So, yeah, and there's even some, you know, very large, prominent um, players that have been in the industry, you know, were almost kind of the hallmarks of the industry um, that are going through um, restructuring, mm-hmm. you know, trying to really right size their staff, um, deal with their vendors. There's, there's some interesting stories out there to, uh, for folks that really want to dive into specific companies. I don't want to get into any of the specific companies and the challenges that those folks have been facing, but there's definitely some tales uh, being told as to the, you know, the true <laughs> pun intended growing pains mm-hmm. of the industry. And now it's kind of that, that curve. Um, you know, I'm not sure if we've hit a bottom. Yeah, I don't know. I'm um, not sure if the correction has really hit, you know, the, you know, in that. So despite the fact of the issues that relate to the compliance, you know, for an ongoing business, that raises issues as to securing additional capital to keep going. Well, right? absolutely. And that's, it's becoming much more difficult yeah. um, because, you know, the, the hits in the valuations in the stock market, um, it's going to make it extremely difficult for those companies to even just go out and raise money privately. Mm-hmm. Even if they're not in the stock market, the, the investors are a lot more skeptical. They're not just, like you said, people coming and say, I just want to get in the game. Mm-hmm. What's that really mean? What, what do you really want to do versus now? I think it's more of an educated investor that wants to come in. And I think there's even a group of investors that are now sort of value mm. purchasers. They, they, they sat, they waited and now they're like, Oh, okay, you're hurting. I can come in and swoop up this business. I can swoop up the business, get in at a much um, more reasonable price. Even some want to take controls, which there's a litany of issues there with regards to regulations mm-hmm. and licensing and transparency with ownership that need to be dealt with, with groups that want to do that. Um, but then there's people that are looking at alternative ways. Again, you can't go out and get financing. You know, mm-hmm. you're not going to B of A, PNC, any other, the, the big banks, the financial institutions um, do not play in this realm still. So, you know, there's been a, the fourth quarter of 19, there was a kind of a newer uh, trend. Some of the more established, larger companies with a lot of facilities, larger facilities are using a tool now, Chris, called a sale leaseback transaction. Hmm, what's that? Um, it's a, it's something that's actually been around and been utilized. And we've actually worked on a fair number of them over the last couple of decades, where if you have typically traditional companies, um, they could be manufacturing companies, they have large real estate holdings and they operate at those facilities. Well, that's cash. You have, you have equity mm-hmm. in your real estate and these companies are generally operational companies. They're not, they're, they're not real estate companies. So what you would do is you'd say, okay, we look at your property and say, well, I've got a $20 million piece of property here. I can sell it to someone. And there are private groups that do sell leasebacks. They want to find good companies, good properties. We will buy the property from you and immediately lease it back to you. Mm. So you might have a 10, 20 year lease term. A lot of times you'll have options to repurchase the property because again, as an operator, if you're, you know, if you have a, a significant grow facility, you want to make sure that you're not going to lose that facility. And, you know, obviously these are private people on the, own the, own the business, no banks involved, no Correct. mortgage companies. So they, they outright buy the property outright, and then you just lease it back to the operator or the, the occupant. We'll say. Yeah. The occupant, the operator um, of the facility, and it enables them to free up that cash. That's good. Yeah. You know, because a lot of those groups, they came in, they had the cash, they were flush with cash. They bought the real estate, they developed it built their growth facilities. And now it's, you know, the, a lot of them, there've been, you know, well north of between 50 to a hundred million dollar transactions 
that have occurred the last couple of months where these companies are now, this is a way for them to get some cash to continue to either operate or grow the business without trying to go back out to the capital markets to raise funds. Yeah. And today we're talking for those just tuning in now, we're talking about issues that relate to the finance and growing a business by putting money in. You know, I'm seeing a little bit of a trend on in the West coast for people in the traditional, again, not black market. We're talking actually real non cannabis businesses that sell products that are now looking to use their facilities, their manufacturing facilities, like you just said, in that same way. So you're talking specifically, the last example you just gave up was specific cannabis based. They have someone who comes in, leases back the operator. (coughs) Excuse me. What I was, what I'm seeing is people in the traditional business that have a marketplace Mm -hmm. are saying, I want out of that market and I want in the cannabis market, which is unique because you know, it's another way to get in the market, but it's a unique way to get in the market. So you're not, you know, there's cap, it's not a big giant, you know, hundred million dollar raise. You know, you're saying, well, I've got someone who's already manufacturing, I don't know, whatever widget is. And they say, well, let's turn that widget and can we now use that widget in the cannabis world? And they find ways to do it. And they use their same facility. It's already licensed technically. And they just get, hey, listen, we're already licensed locally. We want to do this. We've been great for the city. We've been great for the local area. Can you now license us? And that's happened. So yeah. I see that too. We've, we've actually, it's interesting, Chris, we've advised a number of national clients of ours that are large real estate holding companies. Now they, they have different businesses they're in, um, but they own significant pieces of real estate. A lot of them are in areas that are, um, you know, they're not residential areas. They're, they're places that would be really logical, good fits for a large grow facility. And, you know, those folks have looked at it and said, well, wait a minute, we have untapped resources. We have this land available. Can we get into this space? And we've looked at it um, and we've helped a couple that where it did make sense. A lot of them, though, interestingly, because they're much larger companies, a lot of them we've had to advise them that it's probably not the best thing for them to get into because of the number of government contracts <laughs> that they have. Compliance, compliance, Convince, compliance. Here we and go with again. the federal government, it's one of those you really don't want to trip over yourself you know, if you're a major company, okay, your, your core business, you don't want to put at risk because of this and, issue. And that's though, an example I was, you know, and I'm thinking one off the top of my head of someone in that space, similar, not in a government contract, but with a very large product line that is in the, you know, normal market space and wants out and the, the people they sell it to are not in the space yet but they are on the verge of being in this space. So he's, you know, this company sees the opportunity and it's an opportunity that deals with that. If I keep going in both spaces or try to go both spaces, I'm not going to win. I'm out. I'm going to lose the major contract. And then I jeopardize the future business, which might be more lucrative. I don't know, but you know, they're doing the numbers on that, but that's the dilemma too. Is wait a minute. At what point do I turn the switch off or do I, what time do I move into the next room per se? And that's the hard part. It sounds like that's the same thing with federal. So, you know, well, the we, federal and, but we, we did, we actually had one, one group that we advised that, um, they did a fair amount of business. Uh, we'll just say with other industries mm-hmm. that are currently opposed to the cannabis industry. And they had to look at it and say, well, okay, your major customers, if they found out that you had a different division mm-hmm. where you were playing in the cannabis space, how would that be viewed? And they, they hadn't thought of that. Well, yeah, it's a stigma. It goes back. I mean, we talk about this almost every show. There's still a stigma. Yeah. And while it's legal in states and there's not federal, you know, not federally legal still, unfortunately, um, I think it's unfortunate because you've got these states that are taking these leads and you're right. It's if you get tagged 
by the wrong group, meaning your consumer, the wrong bulk of your group, I should say, because there's some that are going to uh, support you. But if the majority of your group that you sell to is not on board, you might just wipe your own business right out. I mean, it's, you know, kind of odd, but, and you're only doing it peripherally and maybe so small, but the fact that you're connected yeah. in some way, it just seems like you just, you're, you're it's weird because then the value of your product, which has been perfect for, let's say 20 years, is now not worth, not, not good any longer. It doesn't make sense logically, but, right. I, but it's more of a, it's a principle issue, right? It's a principle and practical reality of an industry that has, you know, is looked at very differently depending on who you're talking to. Yeah, um, I think we had a couple episodes ago, we had a, a gentleman in who talked about opioids and, you know, mentioning things like that and how it's an alternative. You know, no one's complaining about those companies. Well, yeah, well, no, some are though. You look at some of the lawsuits against the. No, no, no. The, I, you're right. No, no. I it, mean. It, it, but it's, but it's, in, it's now, different. Now it's being, but for a long period of time. Not scrutinized. Them, yeah. Not even close to being scrutinized. It was like coming like, you know, go to your, your, your opioid to fix your problem. It wasn't, right. it was like kind of like, oh it yeah. Was a, it was a norm um, that that is changing. It, but it'll also be fascinating, you know, really when the federal law changes, it'll be fascinating to see how quickly uh, lending institutions decide to get, get back into the game. You know, how are they going to jump in or are you going to have specialized banks that may really focus on this industry? You know, even though it will become legalized, mm -hmm. will the big, big financial institutions jump in immediately or not? I'm, I, I, I'm I not don't sure. Know. I, I mean, I think one of the big ones is going to be the credit card processing side of it. Absolutely. You know, so are you really in the base in the space by processing? Arguably you are, but are you holding the money? You're really only holding it for a very brief period of time. Like I'll process for you, but I don't want your money. It was, um, which it is was, unique. It, and that's what the major credit is. cards do. And the credit card companies, it was, I was talking actually out here in Las Vegas where mm -hmm. we're recording. I was talking to some folks in the industry and a number of them had gotten very creative last year in 2019. And they were actually taking credit card payments. Mm. That didn't last long. No. The banks still, they, they figured out what they were doing and that got shut down. I've been in the, you know, a few that we talked about in the past, some of the gray areas in, in the law and representing people in certain uh industries that people may not seem as socially normal, we'll call them the, uh, that's a better part of the way yeah. to put it. <laughs> and, you know, those have been issues all along. I mean, those have been issues with relation to how's the money dealt with, you know, you're dealing with a product or a service that may not be conforming to the norm, but generates an enormous amount of money. Um, and which is signifies that there's a quite a big pool of using it, but they don't want to say it. And so, you know, Banking will be a big issue this year. I don't know where it's going. Um, there's some people saying it ain't going to fly. You know, there's some there's people people on that committee who are on the committee just to block. You know, so it, it just, no one knows where it's going. Well, there's a lot of competing special interests. Yes. You know, from the, from the banking side, um, you know, big pharma, yeah. you know, the, the tobacco, which tobacco is in an interesting space. They've made significant moves mm -hmm. in the last 12, 18 months to get into the cannabis space, mm -hmm. but I don't, they're not hundred percent there yet. Um, so, you know, it, it will be interesting to see. The economics and that's going to be the big one. I think, I mean, unfortunately, you know, you're going to have big pharma, big tobacco, you know, big, these big groups that have lobby mm -hmm. backs that are probably gonna have to be the catalyst to kind of get it over the top and then make it more socially. We'll call, I hate to use that term normal, but it's, you know, if you're in the space, it's normal. If you're not in the space, 
it's abnormal. If you're not sure where you are, you're just not sure where you are. And, you know, I think big pharma has been sitting back a little bit because they're getting ready for it. I mean, you know, big tobacco sitting back because they've already prepared, as you noticed, yeah, for it. And absolutely. Just a matter of whether it's 2020, 2021, you know, when's that going to happen? Um, well, and that comes back to, you know, we were talking about the financial aspect yep. of it. I think a lot of the investors are looking at this and going, okay, the, the clock is ticking for when those larger financial institutions or groups, mm -hmm. companies are going to get into this space. If I invest my money, maybe with the right companies here, is there an exit? Right. In a couple of, you know, it could be 24, 36 months from now to where one of those large companies come and buy. And that's, you know, when you really make money off of your investment. Um, but again, that's somewhat of a gamble. You know, is it going to be one of the really companies that people want or not? You know, the, 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 yeah, these REITs, which I know you know about. Yes. Which I, I, I think is I, as much as they're real estate, to me, they're not real estate. To me, they're just in an investment pool. Yes, absolutely. Can you explain what that might be? Because I, I think people, and we'll have a more dis, uh, in-depth discussion on real estate specific on all those issues. But I think when you talk about financing and, and raising funds and securing funds, whether, again, whether it's a launch or during operations, these, these are new, these REITs. And I'll right. let you explain. So REITs, basically REITs are very basic. Real estate investment trusts. Trust, which basically is a way for groups to get together, come together, and almost create a company that is going to offer stocks. So it's really your way to invest. And typically those REITs are specialized in particular areas of the real estate industry, office, retail, multifamily. But again, these are publicly traded investments. So you can go in and you, it, they, they really broaden where the investment pool is. So you have some stability within the market, you have professionals running it. They're basically just like a, a broker that's running somebody's 401k and making sure that the money's invested in different places and trying to get the returns that they had projected for the investors. Um, again, that's a significantly, it's very different than a, you know, a real estate, a local real estate development where you have a, you know, small group of investors that come together and they're just, they're invested in that project mm -hmm. versus this again, investment trust in their name to where you can broaden your your risks, have a return, very professional, but it's also very regulated. So again, similar to the banks, the REITs are not going to jump into this space. No, not until all. Until it becomes fully legalized. And again, you'll you'll probably see very, that's the one area where I see, I definitely would say you're going to see very quickly um, a group, groups popping up once it's legalized because there are real estate professionals that are ready Oh yeah, that they, they want to get into this investment space. And there's land, and there's yes. there, there's there's space. There's uh, I mean, I've seen it already. Just getting everyone from a flyer or a call, and the amount of space that's out there that's available is insane. I mean, it's you know, it's just a matter of hey, we're waiting. When's it going to happen? We're waiting. We, we we're not ready yet. Right. But we're ready to go. And this is across the country. You know, places you never expect to. You know, someone's oh, yeah. hundreds Absolutely. of acres in the middle of nowhere, and they've you know ready to put in grow facilities. They have the the infrastructure ready to go. Just a matter of who's going to come and take the spot. They they have that ready. There's also groups out there that have bought uh, retail space, right? That are prime locations. They're waiting. They're waiting for that. Um, that they've kind of got that catalog that they've built of the spaces that they have deemed would be very um, favorable that they'll want to have for dispensaries. They a lot of them they now have bought the property. They've got another use in there. Kind of waiting their time for it. But those again will be for like for the reeds those will be perfect acquisitions. And that's actually those, the groups that have done that, 
they actually have the REITs. Because again, these these are folks that have been doing this for yeah. decades. They view that as their exit. Right. Interestingly, that's, you know, a lot of developers do that, that they will build a portfolio of real estate. They know once it gets to a certain size, they can turn around and flip that to a REIT, get their cash back, and, it, and they'll do it again. You know, one other big thing, in, and again, I'm going to use this from an investor. We're talking about investments and securing capital and capital in general. These opportunity zones, which are coming up all over the place. And these are new areas that the local areas allowing individuals to come in, basically put in properties, housing sometimes. So the IRS did answer. So we actually oh. specialize in the opportunity zone program um, across the country. The regulations came out December 20th, 2019, the final regs. Uh, but one of the few things that they did give a clear answer on is that the cannabis industry is one of the sin businesses right. that is prohibited within that industry. So I bring that up for that response, but I also bring up, do you think at some point they're going to change that? Because, Absolutely. Okay. And I, and I, I do. I, it's another investment opportunity because I have no, there's a, there's a bunch in California. I've got some of the clients that are working on them down South in the, in the North Cal, in the San Diego community. Um, and that's their question to me. And well, I, I did it, set, I did set my call up with a perfect question of put them on the yeah, tee and he answered yeah, it. So. Did, did. That was, that was a, uh, that was a beach ball you threw out. Yeah, I, I yeah. like that one. Those, those are not, uh, there's usually not that many easy, that was an easy questions one, yeah. in the legal world, but you know, five years from now, could I absolutely see that program being utilized with the cannabis industry? It would tie in perfectly with a lot of the social equity programs and initiatives that different jurisdictions are now trying to put into place, you know, for disadvantaged areas, neighborhoods, individuals with their history. It, it, it would be a logical. I'm calling you, I may catch you off guard. What are the sin, sin businesses are, are affiliated if you, if you know off the top of your head? Typically in federal, the federal government programs, um, such as the opportunity zones, new market tax credits, uh, the sin businesses are typically, you know, cannabis, mm -hmm. marijuana related, uh, liquor stores, right. Um, gun stores, I presume I'm no, guessing. No, Oh no, that is, that is not. Wow. Um, the, what's the, the, the. Uh, cash day. Oh yeah. Payday. Like uh, payday. Yep. Mm -hmm. th those types Into of quick loans, hard money yeah, loan, quick loans. Yes. Uh, those operations, um, pornography, gambling, you know, kind of your, what you would typically consider that uh, to be. And then one of the other really fun ones are, um, golf courses, like a, a country club. Oh, that makes sense. It's <laughs> But the funny part is that the guns are in. That's yeah, but it's but you know it's funny you know the the like liquor stores became yes. a, an interesting twist on that becoming a problem because a lot of grocery stores and convenience mm -hmm. stores are part of, of larger developments, but then a lot of jurisdictions they became legally permitted to sell alcohol. Right, and I was like, oh wait a minute, we're going to lose all of our tax benefits. It'll be fascinating to see how that may happen as cannabis kind of gets in and how they deal with it. Um, but if you pick on a specific pharmacy we'll say mm -hmm. that goes in their retail slash pharmacy store they have cbd on CBD, the shelf yeah so does that mean now they got to pull all of that off the shelf if they get in the, if they if they decide to go in the zone not to say they could right. but if they did the answer is yes right or they say we're not going in the opportunity zone so then it kind of is contrary to the concept of the opportunity zone right they're yes. trying to benefit the community but you won't let me benefit the community because i don't i can't give the community all the products that we offer right right so it's just a unique no, it yeah. definitely is. Well, we'll uh, we'll be back in touch. Have a couple more uh, podcasts coming your way, and I, we'll probably be every. I would say probably every 
session or season of our podcast, we'll be touching upon the finances because it, it changes so quickly. I thank everyone for listening. Um, we'll be back in touch shortly. We'd need to talk. Take care, everybody. That's our show. Thank you for listening to Cannabis Law Talk. You can reach us at CannabisLawTalk.com or on Twitter at CannabisLawTalk. Or you can also write us at CannabisLawTalk at LeechTishman.com. That is L-E-E-C-H-T-I-S-H-M-A-N.com. This is Chris Gonzalez. This is Ken Foltz. Talk to you soon. <laughs>